You are listening to the Fanboy Strike Back Weekly Review Podcast, episode 30. Hey, welcome to the Fanboys Strike Back Weekly Review Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm David. And we are the Fanboys Who Strike Back. Every week we uh, pick up a selected stack of comics, we read those, and we write a review on our website, www.fanboystrikeback.com. And then we come here and we talk about them. We will go into depth about what happens in these books, so there will be spoilers, and so you've been warned. Uh, if you don't want to be spoiled, please pause the podcast and come back after you read the books. Uh if you don't mind being spoiled, well, buckle up and get ready for the ride. So with that, David had the book of the week, and I was a bit surprised, actually. Surprised, huh? I Well, there was... There's a couple other candidates that you thought might, there, might get there, it? There was some candidates. There was, there was one, your, 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 your team came out this week, and it was kind of the first... Yeah. We'll, the and we'll get to this later. The, the first kind of core X-Men book. Since Plus, Messiah Complex. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I kind of thought it was going to be that. And um, I, don't, I don't read Thor, so. Yes, my my pick for Book of the Week was uh, Thor, number six. And kind of like I've been saying in my review and when I've been talking about Thor, is that I've always hated the idea of Thor. And I've picked it up just because Oliver Coipel has been drawing it, and I love his art. He, he did uh, Avengers for a while, and then he did House of M. And... Uh, Straczynski is doing it, and there's, you know, all this stuff going on now where he's not exclusive to Marvel anymore, and I'm not sure if that's the fallout of the One More Day fiasco, and I don't know if he's just not exclusive to Marvel, or if he's leaving Marvel completely, but I really want him to stay on this book, because this has been, Thor, it's so weird, but Thor is like one of the books that I get really excited about when it comes out, and I never ever thought that would happen, but... The fallout of Michael Avon Oming's um, Thor Ragnarok series was the fall of the gods, basically. And what JMS is doing is he's trying to reestablish the gods on Earth. So what this first arc, these first six issues I've been dealing with is that the gods are in human form, and Thor is basically searching for the gods, and he's able to release their essence and basically turn these humans back into gods. Um, the only thing about this is that Thor can sense when he finds a god in human form, but he doesn't really know who the god is. And so there's some nice gods, and so there's some nice, or some not so nice gods. And so we got to reveal a couple issues back where he was going to try to release Lady Sif, who's his love, and he releases Loki by accident, and we now have a female Loki. And so the reason why I really like this book is that there's um, there's a little parallel in the middle of this issue where Thor is talking to Donald Blake, and that's, you know, the alter ego. And I really like that, that relationship there, because I've never really understood it. But it's like they are two separate people, but they share the same body. And Thor is basically struggling with the decision is, like, does he go and resurrect these gods because he doesn't know what's going to happen? And a surprising twist is that, you know, the main thing is that he wants to resurrect Odin, his father, the leader of the gods. But 
he's having doubts about that because he feels that like resurrecting Odin is going to take the gods down the same path and doing so will bring around another Ragnarok and another fall of the gods and so at this point Thor is it's kind of like him he's almost willing to accept the mantle of the gods now he's trying to say you know maybe my father had it wrong maybe it's uh, you know it's time for a changing of the guard and maybe I need to to do this myself but at the very end of the book, he decides that he's just going to go all out, and he releases all the gods at once. And it's beautiful. He 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 does like the Superman thing, and he flies up into the to the atmosphere, and you see him just rev up his hammer, and then all of a sudden he just lets all of his power go at once, and you see lightning just covering the planet, and then he plummets down, and it ends with Thor in a crater passed out. Hmm. It it does seem like it reeks a little Superman, at least the at least the imagery. But uh, yeah, the the last part did kind of reek of Superman. But the thing I, is, I'm surprised by how much death is in this book. It sounds like an interesting book, and and I guess I didn't pick it up because I was like you. I Thor does not or never did interest me at all. Although right. I did I did like the Ultimate version. So this might be something that I look into when, when the first trade is collected. Yeah, I would definitely check it out. I mean. It's worth it for the art alone because Oliver Coipel's art is very, it's very light and it's very subtle and it's not what I would expect in a Thor book because in a Thor book you expect something like, you know, big bulking gods and everything to be action oriented and very dynamic and that's not Coipel's art at all which is very surprising but it fits the tone of the book just, I mean this isn't like an epic like fighting you know war of the gods book this is like. It's kind of a soul-searching Thor, just trying to find his place, basically, on, on Earth, especially with the Civil War going on, and, like, him having to bear the burden of the gods on him, because it's, like, it's completely up to him in terms of, like, what's the next stage for Asgard. So, it, it was very interesting, and so, I, I mean, like I said, I I don't like Thor, but I love this book, so... I would definitely check it out and trade if you can. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, talking about another book to buy solely for the art, uh, Batman. Oh gosh, Batman Rock oh, Boy Wonder. Oh gosh, this book is just odd. Like, I, 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 <laughs> what happened now? I can't get enough of it, but it's just weird. Beautiful train wreck. Yes, it is. It really is a beautiful train wreck. Uh, with a very shocking, like, by the time I, this was the first issue where I read it, and I was like. Well, by the by the end of it, there was a turn, and I'm like, well, maybe that wasn't bad. <laughs> I, I I don't know anymore. I just it's it's absurd. But yeah. the the thing is, uh, Robin is now Robin in this, and um, the Justice League is still coming after Batman because they see that Bruce Wayne has not only abducted Dick Grayson but has made him his partner now, and uh, they've sent Hal Jordan to speak to speak to Batman, who who they don't know is Bruce Wayne also. But uh, the thing is Frank Miller continues to deconstruct DC characters by taking Hal Jordan and just making him kind of dim-witted. But uh, also the the way they the way that both Batman and Robin prep for Green Lantern to show up to make him completely powerless is they paint everything, including themselves, yellow. Uh. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, Batman's there. He's sitting on a couch sipping lemonade. They're it's just absolutely ridiculous. 
So, but the art is fantastic. Like, I, I can't get over how good the book looks. But the thing is, they just treat Hal Jordan like an idiot, and Batman's still an asshole, and he's kind of putting on Hal Jordan. And then, kind of as a test, uh, Robin steals Green Lantern's ring without him knowing it. And so they kind of... It, it was, I, I guess it was kind of a test to see if he could, and then uh, the, he kind of says, you know, if you want it, come after it, and as soon as Hal kind of even goes for him, you know, Robin's all over him, and he, Robin basically beats the crap out of Hal Jordan. But then at the very end, he delivers a killing stroke straight to his uh, straight to his trachea. What? Yeah, he crushes it, and he like, and then like Hal's just on the ground, and he's like gasping, he can't breathe, and all of a sudden Batman's back on his feet. He's like, "Oh, the little bastard!" And he grabs him by the keep, throws him, throws Robin into a wall to where he's like half his face crushes into the wall, and then he punches him to stay down. So it, it, it's just first of all, that's just odd because. I'm watching what? Batman beat up Robin badly. What the crap is going on? But then, like, you know, he's saying, oh, you little snot, you know, and stuff like that, and stay down, and, like, we don't need a corpse here, and now I have to trach him. So, basically, they they tracheate Hal Jordan. Like, you know, they, they get a knife and punch a hole in his throat and put a straw in there so he can breathe and all that kind of stuff. And it's just odd. But then uh, he Batman starts to think, and he says, well, you know, I made him this way. He says, I had Alfred, and I had, you know, however many, you know, however many years to grieve. And I basically, and he starts getting retrospective by the end of it. And he's like, all I've done, you know, this kid, basically, I've, I've dragged him off the street, freshly from his parents' murder, and then let him hang out with a complete psycho. And he, like, he acknowledges that he's insane. Like, he's a, he's a yeah. psychopath. So they take care of Hal Jordan. And they drop him off at the hospital, and then Bruce takes Dick Grayson to the uh, cemetery where his parents are buried. And basically, he says, "I, it's like I just pray for a second chance with him. We don't ask any questions. We're gonna have a fresh start." And he drops Dick off, and he says, "Find them and say goodbye." And so we see Dick Grayson go to his parents' tombstone and start to cry. And then, uh, like the end of it is just Batman holding Robin, and he's like, "We mourn lives lost, including our own." And it was actually kind of touching. Like, it was surprisingly touching at the end. And I was like, so is this, like, going to change the tone of the book? Like, is he not going to be insane anymore? Like, because that was a, that'd be an awfully odd start if, if that's, if now they're going to go legit with the book. But uh, it, it was weird that after all that and, like, seeing Dickerson and Vita Peltron, like, first of all, that was just odd. But I, the art was fantastic, and you have to buy it just to revel in the absurdity of it oh no it's so weird i don't understand no, why you're buying the book it, bottom line it, it may be so off the mark but it's entertaining I, I i can say certainly that i'm entertained every week by this book but yeah it had this really odd twist at the end where it was really strangely touching and i was taken aback by it i was like well i wasn't ready for that right. so well, it was it I was guess. odd and it was a i mean it's still a beautiful book like i would love to have jim lee on a normal batman book but um yeah. Yeah, so, alright, it's, the, the, the crazy train keeps rolling. <laughs> alright. Okay, well, let's let's talk about X-Men Legacy number 208. Okay. So, not being, coming into X-Men at Messiah Complex, what did you think about this? I thought it was weird. The, the hard part for me is, I didn't, I didn't know 
hardly any of these people were who were mulling around Xavier's body. Yeah, that's that probably makes sense. Like that that was hard for me. And then the second is I know it's a comic book and like it's you know suspension of belief and all that kind of stuff, but they talk about like the majority of Xavier's brain like being nothing more than jelly at this point because it's just destroyed. And it's like, okay, he's he can't be alive at that point. Like, he's lost right. a lot of blood. He, like, if, if the majority of his brain is, is gone, then he's he's dead. But I really did enjoy the flashbacks with the original team, and I thought that was cool. And uh, the the stuff with Mo- Moira was kind of interesting, and I liked how Xavier was grooming Cyclops back in the beginning, and how he says, you know, they, they basically sit down and he's like, can you promise me you've never gone into my head and rearranged the furniture? I thought that was really cool, because... Xavier is kind of a great character, and it's not beyond him to do stuff like that. Right. But uh, I, and I assume it was a pretty big reveal. I was, I was like, ooh, that, that makes things interesting. At the very end, we we find out that Magneto is one of the group looking over Xavier's body. Yeah. Well, what we find out is that um, Xavier's body disappeared on the very last panel of Messiah Complex, and then. Because everyone's been kind of weird about the end of Messiah Complex because when Xavier was down on the ground, the X-Men were just sitting there not doing anything. And then you see his body disappear, and those like, was that supposed to happen? And so we find out that that was supposed to happen, and that Vought, who was the redhead girl, she actually teleported Xavier away using Tempo, who can stop time. Right, I saw, I, I remember and that. And Vought was romantically linked with Charles for kind of a while, so that's why there's the dam- dynamic between those two. But Exodus is basically trying to repair Xavier's mind. What, I don't know. What's that? So what do you think about that whole thing? Like, do you think they should... Do you think this is a good direction for the book? Or what do you think? I think that I like the story, but I don't I don't like the purpose of the story. Like, I like seeing the flashbacks. I mean, the flashbacks are stuff that we've seen already. Being an old school X-Men fan, like, we've seen this stuff, but I like it because basically Exodus is trying to hold on to strong memories of Charles, and you're seeing, like, these very vivid memories in terms of how that relates to the X-Men. But I don't like the purpose of the story. Like, I think it's cool to have, like, a deconstruction of Xavier, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't like why we're getting this. Because it makes no sense to me that Xavier's gone, and that the X-Men have to know that he's gone, but still, Scott and Emma are chilling in the Savage Land when they don't know if Xavier's alive, and then they don't even know where he is. Right, there's a there's a weird continuity gap there. Yeah, that's With a... Lack of I don't know, characterization. Because I guess that's the thing, is that Scott... And I don't know, I have to go back and read Uncanny X-Men, because I never got the impression that Xavier was missing. I thought the X-Men had him somehow, and that they knew that he was in a coma. But apparently they know that he's gone, and they don't know that he's alive or dead. And if that's the case, Scott isn't going to go on a vacation at that time. You know? Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. That's, That's true. So... Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was just kind of lost throughout this, so... Yeah, that makes sense. The, the reveal at the end was uh, Magneto. That was good. I was actually expecting that. And I thought it was interesting that Exodus 
went to Magneto because Exodus used to be a crony of of Magnus, and there's a lot of bad blood there, but there's no one who's gonna know, like, you know, Xavier's mind and these memories better than Magneto, so... Yeah, I, I I love the whole those two being best friends. You know, it was great in the movie and it's great in the books. So well, it makes sense. Um, yeah, like, and and I like that that aspect of it too with them being friends. And I thought I can't remember. Did they address like where Eric was during the Messiah Complex? Because it, they don't, it seems odd that he was missing from that. They didn't talk about where he was during Messiah Complex. He was in Brubaker's run prior to Messiah Complex, and he kind of knew that something big was coming up, but he was kind of standing back, so I don't know. I mean, we might get more insight now of where he was during the whole thing, but I mean, he doesn't have his powers or anything, so he's... Oh, is he one of the ones affected by MD? Yeah, yeah, he never got his powers back, so... Okay. Yeah, alright. So it was okay. I mean, I'm gonna keep on reading it. I think it's gonna be pretty cool. Just like I said, I just don't like... I just don't like why we're getting this story. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I want to talk about Justice Society of America, number 13. Uh-huh. And this continues with the Kingdom Come sequel storyline, which it was the, the first couple pages were kind of funny because uh, we get uh, Jaquim Thunder, I think is his name. Yeah. And uh, he's searching for a bedroom, basically, in the JSA mansion. And he's basically like, there's too many people on this scene. There's, there's nowhere to live. And they... It's like they're purposely making fun of it. Like, they spent all that time recruiting, and, and they know how ludicrous it is to have, with how many people are on the team. Exactly. And uh, we also get some moments with him and uh, Black Lightning's younger daughter, which... <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I, I like that, yeah. It was it was just kind of a... It was a very good start to a lighthearted moment. And then I really enjoyed how it transferred directly into, like, the crime scene aspect, because it, with starting that very lightheartedness, and then you turn the page, and you're right into this heavy drama. Right. So I thought that was cool, and I really like that uh, they're bringing not the same Magog from uh, Kingdom Come, but basically his predecessor into the fold as the one who's been killing uh, a lot of the fake heroes, or the, the fake gods, as he puts it. And so the Justice mm-hmm. Society are learning this, and it, it makes sense now that they have the Kingdom Come Superman there as a story point to kind of fill them in on... There, there's some connection, and they don't really understand it yet because they don't know how he would have seen visions from uh, Earth 22. You know, th- there's there's a lot of stuff. There's gaps in it that don't make sense. But right. it's interesting that there's starting to be a connection now. What I really enjoyed about this is also we get a team up with the Kingdom Come Superman and our Superman, which is kind of cool because we see the Kingdom Come Superman is really at the uh, top of his powers, like he. He really can't be hurt by much. And we get some also some great panels by Alex Ross. Yeah, you know, this is actually the first issue where I am completely cool with having two Supermen on Earth. Like, I'm actually excited about it now. Yeah, it, it was very cool to see them kind of team up and how just, like, hearing Lois' voice again kind of set him off with mm-hmm. the tragedy that he had to go through. But uh, I think what I liked most about this issue is after having so much set up over the past year that finally it feels like we're starting the story something's gonna happen yeah yeah and and that got me really excited so whereas if 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 this book kept on going where they were just recruiting all the time it would have been quick for me to drop it soon because i was just i was growing bored with it and now that we have a storyline kicking off that really does feel like it's going to be connected to kingdom come 
I'm I'm back on board. Like I was really excited after reading this issue. It, it took me by surprise because I'd kind of gotten in the motion of just picking this up and reading it. And, you know, that that was about it for me. But this this got me excited again. No, I agree. No, it was really it was really really good. Uh, Daredevil number one hundred five came out this week, and man, you know, we I've, every time I talk about Daredevil, we just keep on talking about how Matt Murdock's life sucks and. This was the end of this the recent storyline about uh, Mr. Fear basically just trying to take down, not Daredevil, but Matt Murdock. And what ha- what happened is that Mr. Fear, he, he uses gas basically to drive Matt's wife, Mila, completely insane. And Matt has been just trying to hound him and trying to find him in terms of getting this antidote. So Matt finally tracks him down, beats the crap out of him, throws him off a building, tries to scare him, tries to intimidate him, and it doesn't work. And at the very end, Mr. Fear just fesses up and he says, you know what, there isn't an antidote. And he's like, you can't beat me, I've already won. And it's a sad reality. And so he he basically, it's... This wasn't even um, a Daredevil book or a Daredevil arc. This was an arc about Mr. Fear, him trying to take down Matt Murdock, and him winning. It, the The story arc ends with him going to prison, him admitting to everything, and basically going into Rikers like a, a hero. I mean, he's treated like a king. He's going in there. All the inmates love him. He's still using his gas in Rikers to influence the, the police and the guards. And the actual issue ends with Matt Murdock taking his wife, Mila, and basically um, sending her to a mental ward. So, yeah, I I mean, I guess this is Brubaker's way of dealing with Mila and them being married, you know, Mm -hmm. because it seems like she's definitely going to be out of the picture for a while. But it's been so hard going through the story with Matt Murdock because, like, that's what—that's what it's been. It's like you're going through the story with this character, and you've seen him on the the brink of like just the edge of anger and just losing it, and now he's kind of gone the other way, and he's just completely like devastated. Um, I mean, the the fact that this happened to her is a direct result of the fact that he is Daredevil. And that's exactly what he's feeling right now. And he's just... He's losing it. He just feels so sorry for the guy. It's just like... You know, you, you want the guy to have a break. You want the guy to be happy. But at the same time, he kind of has a... A self-destructive personality. So, like, you don't think he's ever going to really be able to find happiness. Because, you know, maybe deep down inside, he doesn't really want it. So it was really rough. It was just really rough. It was just like one of those really punch in the gut issues that was crafted, you know, almost perfectly by Brubaker. So here's hoping that it kind of lights up a little bit, but in a Daredevil book, I'm not really counting on that. Huh. Well, uh, another Brubaker book that came out was uh, the relaunch of Criminal, uh, which is with Icon uh, Criminal number Criminal Volume Two Number One. Uh, starts off with the storyline Second Chance in Hell. And what they did with this, uh, Sean Phillips, still on art, still doing an incredible job. But what they've done with this is similar to what Ben just did with Powers, is they've upped the page count on this, and there's no ads in the book. 
other than like the good. other than like the the back cover and the front cover, or not even in the front cover. It's just the back. But uh, yeah, just increased page count. Um, brand new story. It's all taking place now in the mid seventies, and oh man, this this is fantastic. And it's also a great jumping on point. You don't have to know anything from the previous volume. Uh, if you're ever interested in picking up this book, this is the perfect place to start. Uh, and I'd recommend anyone go out and pick this up because this is, other than Captain America, I'd probably say this is, this is Pretty straight. Yeah, this is his, this is his baby. Yeah, yeah, this is his place where he shines. And basically, what this story is about is it starts off um, showing how two kind of mid-level gangsters in the fifties decide to uh, perform a coup and take out the, the 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 gang bosses that they were working for and become the top men. With, as a new syndicate, and then the story jumps 20 years and talks about their sons, and so one of them has become like his father and is and is vying for power and trying to become respect a respected and made man in town, and then the other one is uh, a boxer, and he's kind of trying to go legit and he's an a- athlete and he he has more of a conscience and he didn't want that life for himself and he didn't want to be his father and so that led him into conflict with his friend that he grew up with, his, the other mob enforcer's son. And the, the main flux of the book is between them and a woman, of course, that comes in between them. And what happens, you know, you see people make wrong decisions and you see the fallout from that. And basically it's the disillusion of their friendship. And I, I'm not sure where it's going to go from here. The story's going to be continued. It ends up with, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it. This, this, it was just an excellent book. And a lot of just emotional drama throughout the whole thing is you see kind of a very tragic story unfold for this very talented boxer, uh, very talented young man. So, so good. So, so good. I'd recommend this to anybody. Just go out and please try this and see if you like it. So, uh, the new format really helps too, because I, I hate ads in books, and this reads very much like a primetime TV show does, or, or plays out the same way. So it's kind of nice that you're not interrupted every five pages by something sticking out but um just fantastic i i can't say enough good stuff about this chon phillips art also really moody very reminiscent for me especially of uh batman year one but like there's always there's a lot of light and dark shadows are always across faces uh there's a there's a realism to it uh, very very dark and very grim and gritty as, as cliche as that is to sound but it's very good going into another create your own icon no ads Probably the most hype book of this week, Kick-Ass Number 1 by Mark Millar and John Romita Jr. came out. This was good. This was this was really, really good. And I honestly, like, I... I mean, we're going to get into the premise and the overall story. But it's... The, the, the overall story, just like the whole premise, is just so simple. Yeah, it, I mean... It, it's... It makes you wonder why no one wrote about that really before. But... Exactly, that was a, my my first thought. I was like, how come never no one's ever done this before? But that's kind of the crux of the storyline too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, Kickass ta- is basically a story of a young kid who is kind of isolated. He's you know he's in high school. He's he's a typical. And they did a perfect way of uh, explaining it. Like he's not popular. He's not a total geek. He's just there. Yeah, and he he loves comics, and he basically just says, "How come no one has ever actually put on a mask and has gone out to try to be a hero?" 
I'm gonna try to do that. And it doesn't really work out that well for him. No, what like the surprising thing about this, and you learn you see it within like the first two pages, but they don't shy away from showing the consequences of this, and they definitely don't glorify the idea of, you know, comic book reading kids going out and putting on tights and trying to fight crime. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but it is such a simple idea, and it's like, I, and I love the first page, because he's saying, you know, come on, be honest with yourself. You know, we've all planned on being a superhero at some point in our lives, and it's it, kind of true. Like, I mean, especially when you're a kid, you know, you're like, oh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like I could do that, you know, it, or, or you fantasize about it or something like that. But, uh, I mean, every kid's wrapped a towel around his neck, but... Yeah, yeah, that's happened. It, it was it was just a fantastic way, and they, they made it very realistic. They definitely didn't make the uh, central character especially likable. Like he uh-huh. he's kind of average, but also he has he's flawed too. So so he's not like a, a a perfect person you can root for. He's very realistic, and they exist in the real world. They talk about uh, amazing uh, X or astonishing X Men and and Buffy right. and that kind of stuff. But uh, you also see that during his first try going out and just uh, roughing up some pe- some people uh, doing graffiti, like, he gets seriously mangled. Yeah, it was brutal. He basically, he sees three guys uh, doing some graffiti, and he, he's, he thinks he's gonna step up, and he kind of has to force himself to do it. And he starts taking on all three of the guys, and, you know, for a while you're like, he's actually gonna do this, he's doing pretty well. And then he gets a knife in the chest. And then he gets up and tries to get away and gets run over by an SUV. Gets hit by a car, yeah, oh. And he's just lying there, that's kind of where it left off. But yeah, um, yeah, the last page is him just sitting there on the street, a complete bloody mess. But the thing is, like, the the book starts as a flashback. So, mm-hmm. what? In, and he also alludes to, this was before this was a common sight, this was before the others arrived. And so, right. you kind of get the sense that in the end he's successful, but I don't it's, know how, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I, I'm really interested to see how this story plays out, and I thought it was a great book. Like it, it yeah, was, it was awesome. It was just entertaining, and I thought John Romita Jr.'s art was fantastic too. Yeah, it's so weird though because John Romita Jr. He's a classic artist. You know, you would never think that he would draw something like this. It's so weird, like seeing something so graphic. I mean, there's a there's a panel in here where the guy's being tortured and they're electro- electrocuting his testicles. And I'm like, wow, I can't imagine John Romita Jr. actually sitting down to draw that. But it's cool. I'm glad that he's going out of his comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was a fantastic book. Then another one that I'd highly recommend to people this week if they didn't pick it up. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. So with that, uh, we're going to skip the top five this week. And we uh, both have bought the... New Frontier DVD that came out last week, and we won two. Yeah, actually, I bought it on Blu-ray. Did you get it on Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. No, no, I didn't. I, I, I'm, I'm sticking to my regular DVDs for now. Oh, so. you little people and your regular standard DVDs. Easy, easy there. <laughs> so uh, with that, we wanted to, we kind of wanted to talk about it. we we have a little different points of view on it. So uh, why don't you start off, Dave, and tell us what you thought of? No, uh, no, you're the DC guy. You're the DC guy. I want to know what you think first. Okay, um, for me it was it was hard. I love the New Frontier book, and uh-huh. for, for me every time I go from a book to a movie, whether it's a no, you know novel or comic, whatever, it's always very hard for me because stuff 
of course, gets lost in the translation. Like, you just can't put everything from New Frontier into a 70-minute DVD. It, right. it just won't work. But um, I thought the overall way that they handled it, for the most part, was really good. I thought the animation was fantastic. I thought, mm -hmm. above all, that was the best part of it. And they definitely did not shy away from some of the more graphic moments of the book. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I was disappointed. I was disappointed that they left some points out, like the, uh, uh, spoilers of course, but the whole uh, John Henry aspect of it, like, they, they allude to it, they, they kind of show it in newspaper clippings, and then they uh -huh. come back to it at the end, at the end of, the, of, his, of his part of the story, which, you know, plays off what Martian Manhunter will do in the book, but it, it was kind of like, I think they could have probably left that in as... as I, I thought that was a really relevant part of the book. Um, I guess for me, it was it's really hard to like the. I, I've seen a lot of iterations of Superman and Batman on TV, and I'm you know animated Batman. I'm always gonna want to hear Kevin Conroy's voice coming out of it. That's true. And Jeremy Sisko, I think, is the guy who did uh, did Batman, yeah. and I, I thought that was the only voice that didn't fit the character. It, it was almost too deep. See, I thought it was good. I just think, I just think, like you said, I think when you see an animated Batman voice, you you automatically hear, you know, yeah, the the animated series Batman. Right. But but other than that, like I thought, I loved how they showed the transition from him being a dark vigilante to a more friendlier version. Um, I thought Superman was done really good. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin or McLaughlin, or I think that's yeah. his name. Um, I thought he did a great job. I, I think, for some reason, and this is why I'm a perfect fan of like them never doing acting voices in Legend of Zelda, because if they made Link speak, it'd probably be nowhere near what I want it to sound like. And the rousing speech that Superman gives at the end just cut it for me. Like it didn't, it didn't, it or it didn't cut it for me. Um, it for some reason it just didn't have the weight that it had in the book and maybe it's because I'm hearing it instead of reading it and it might sound different in my head but also at the end like they were just like yay and it, it seemed yeah that's true it seemed overly cheesy rather than really inspirational like when I read it in the book it's like like I'm cheering too I'm like yeah go get him Superman and and that's in this true. one it was just like oh that was kind of cheesy like yay but uh I don't know I, I came out very mixed I thought it was okay um We'll, we'll get to this later, but I thought the DVD is definitely worth buying, at least for the special features. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I wasn't, I was, I was a little let down by it, but I think that mm -hmm. has more to do with my personal expectations and my personal okay. affinity for the source material. Okay. So, okay. what did you think? Um, you know, going going back and looking at it. I have become quite obsessed with New Frontier, and I talk about it on the show all the time. And it's just really weird, because I didn't even know about New Frontier until last year at uh, the Seattle Comic Con, and Eric's like, you have to read, and I was like, fine, I'll just buy the Omnibus. And then we actually ended up searching, that that was like the, the mission for the day, is to find the New Frontier Omnibus, or the absolute... And I bought the last one at the show. Yeah, you did. So we had to go to a local comic book store. We left the Comic Con to go to a local comic book store just to get that. And it was, it was great. And next to The Death and Return of Superman, it has become my favorite story in DC. 
And I, I did not like Superman Doomsday, so I had a feeling that I wasn't going to like New Frontier. But honestly, I thought it was pretty much perfect. Like, I loved it. I, I just absolutely loved it. I was so caught up in it, and I do agree with, like, there's some nitpicks. Like, I think that, I think the Superman speech was good, like, but I think the bad part about it was the reaction, like you said. It just seemed like there was, like, five guys in the sound booth going, yay, you know, when, like, there should have been a lot of people, you know, there rallying at that moment, and I think that that brought the speech down. Yeah. But, um, I loved how, I I loved, and I was so surprised about how they handled Diana's character. Yeah. Like, she really, she really felt like an Amazon, you know, like a warrior. Um... I thought David Boreanaz as how he he was a little flat in his voice sometimes, not so much emotion, but overall I thought he did a really good job. But I think the biggest thing for me was that like, like I've talked about with New Frontier before, like like New Frontier makes you want to do something, like makes you want to change the world, and the movie really captured like the time of the of the of the book and the time of the era and everything that was going on. And it really captured, like, the essence of what the story was trying to put across, I think. Like, at the end, where they had the images, and they were, it was going over JFK's speech, like, I was getting, you know, like, misty. Like, really, I was getting choked up, because, like, I was getting so caught up in, like, the movie. Yeah. I I just thought it was great. I love that they didn't use an actor. On the, on the commentary track, they, they debated for a second about whether or not to have a sound alike do the speech, but they're mm-hmm. like, no, it's it's got to be Kennedy or nothing. And uh, and really, that speech is just, it, that's the rousing speech in the movie, and when you see it, like, that's true. just as with the images of, you know, Darwin's Cook, Darwin Cook's book, it, oh my god, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, another thing is, it, it's almost a direct, the art, where Superman Doomsday was not Dan Jurgen's art style. Right, this was sure. Darwin Cook animated. It really was. Like, I mean, it was transferred over, literally. I, I mean, there was great parts where there's actually his art in the book. Like, where you're looking through the story, you know? it's That's that's his art. And everything else, it's almost seamless. Yeah. And I really liked how they handled the Martian Manhunter. And I, I really liked that they had a lot of Faraday in it, because I wasn't sure if that dynamic was going to play into the movie. Yeah, I, Faraday is probably one of the characters that came out of that that I, I loved after reading that book. Mm-hmm. And it's like when I see him in current DC continuity, I'm just like, oh, but it's not the one from New Frontier. Like, yeah, that's just, true. It's like, oh, I love King Faraday, but it's not the same. Um, one, what I did really enjoy about it was Barry Allen's character. I thought they covered yes. enough that they needed to. And also, especially him, like he's not the cocky pilot that because really New Frontier belongs to Hal and Barry. That it's True. it's their both of their stories. I think in I think the animated movie is more Hal heavy. But um really it's about them because they were the two characters that ushered in the Silver Age. Yeah. And, and the thing was uh, you know Hal Hal is fun to watch because he is that confident cocky test pilot, but Barry's kind of you know he has a bit of a he has a bit of a complex because he's not doing as much as the other superheroes are doing or he's not He's not handling bigger issues like Superman is, but I loved it with like the the scene with him in Las Vegas. That's in the book. It's one of my favorite 
scenes, and it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I thought that was that was one of those places where it's almost a direct, or excuse me, it's almost a direct transfer of what what you see in the book animated onto the screen. True. And then I loved also like at the end when it it comes down to him having to run all over the center to cover it in light, you know, because it has to be covered at, at the same time, and they're like, "What can move at the speed of light?" And he's like, "I can't, no problem." There, there were just little, little touches that you know. He shoots up and he's about ready to land on. It. He's like, ah, and then he starts running. I mean, it was, it, it was great. Yeah, just... that was great. He was kind of the comic relief, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, what I really, really loved, number one, about New Frontier in a book and the movie is that I was really surprised in the story where Superman falls. You know, and I think that's the best thing about the story. Like the best thing about New Frontier is that it doesn't focus on Batman and Superman. Because when you're when you're dealing with DC Comics and usually the Justice League, it's always about Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and then the rest. Although that was really kind of this movie. I, I'd was say that? It, they added a lot, or they they even added scenes from the book not in the movie, especially with Superman and Lois. And they also True. made Batman more of a central figure rather than in the yeah, book. Yeah, especially at at the end. And th- that was my main concern because I feel like if you're going to release something like the Justice League to like and a DVD movie to like you know mass consumers you're going to put more of Superman and Batman in it because that's what people know I mean it's always weird to me that most people don't know who Green Lantern is you know what I mean because because they don't and I think that that's what I liked most about the movie like I know that they're gonna add more Batman and Superman in it but like at the very end you know Green Lantern saves the day yeah. And I think that that's really cool. And, like, I am I am excited about people who don't know a lot about comics or don't know a lot about these other characters. Like, even watching this DVD, like, you want to find out more about the Martian Manhunter and Green Lantern. And I hope that that's really what happens. Yeah. And there, there were little moments that they put in with those characters that really kept their story arc in the book, especially with Martian Manhunter. I, I, I love him in this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's more my nitpickiness, but uh, there's just some things, like, I didn't get out of the movie what I got from the book, and uh, a lot of it was that speech. I think just some reactions, like, there's moments in the book where, like, I I was overcome, and that one of the other moments was at the very end, because, like you said, Superman gets taken out right at the beginning of the last battle, and they're left without him, and, and his disappearance and supposed absence from that whole part of the, that whole third act was really supposed to have a lot of gravity to it mm-hmm. because as soon as they see the top gun go down they, they were all kind of, that a lot of their hope goes with him right and so the moment at the end of the book where Aquaman shows up and and everyone's celebrating and and uh, Aquaman shows up and he and he's got Superman around his arm and he's like you know I'm Arthur this one this guy hasn't stopped asking for a woman named Lois since you know I found him like that scene in the book was just awesome, and I think a lot of it was you had an internal narration as well, and it was you know it, you think about this moment all the time, and you know you know things will never be as good as they are right now, and you you, you don't get that in the movie, but also I thought the voice acting for Aquaman just it sounded, it, I think that ruined the scene. So I think there was some bad choices in the voice casting, but then also I think there were some really good choices too. So. That was kind of a mixed bag, and I think that kind of ruined it for me. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, we're we're definitely on, on different sides of this. I it, it, I'm surprised because I usually am pretty negative about things, and I expect a lot. But like, I was just giddy throughout the the whole movie, and then I went straight on and I watched all the special features, which obviously we're gonna think are good. They're great. I don't I haven't watched the commentaries yet or listened to the commentaries yet, but uh, the special features really good. The history of the Justice League. It was really weird because Stan Lee is actually on it, and I was like, that's really weird that yeah. Stan Lee is part of this, but it was cool. And, um, I don't know, I was just so, like, as nerdy as it is, like, this stuff just kind of makes me happy when, like, something that is thrown into the media that doesn't really have the stigma of comic books on it, and it's actually, like, a good product, like, that makes me really happy because I'm thinking that. Hopefully, it's going to help, you know, bring someone else into comics, which is not an easy thing to do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, no, there were some great features. And another one, besides, like, they did a history of the Justice League from the beginning to the current iteration, but also they did a profile of all the, the Legion of Doom and the Justice League mm-hmm. villains. And I thought that was fantastic. They look at the motivations for, you know, why villains were bad back in the 1940s uh, and what, you know, compare that to, like, the motivations of. Uh, villains now, and and it was really interesting. It was fantastic. Some great, great features for comic book fans, especially DC comic fans. Yeah, it was um, it was good. It was it was damn good. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about. It. Like I've watched it twice already. I'll probably watch it again pretty soon. Um, my girlfriend watched it and she really liked it. And I think that that really helped my perspective on it was, like, seeing her reactions to it, not knowing the story, like, she was really, like, she didn't believe it when Superman fell, she, like, she thought he was going to get up, you know, immediately, which is what most people are going to think, so I think that really helped me enjoy the movie more, was watching it with her. Huh, well, that's, uh, yeah, that, that would be cool, I think that would add to the experience. Um, yeah, it, it was good, I'd still recommend it to people out there, you know, who are curious about picking it up, it's definitely, it's definitely a good product. Like, mm-hmm. check it out. If especially if you're a fan of the book, if you see the movie and you haven't read the book, go buy the book because yes, go buy the book. It's it expands on so much more. But it's uh, true. Like especially like what you said with uh, John Henry and stuff. Like that is a huge part of the book. And I, like I was I was glad that they like you said they they throw it in there. But I was disappointed that you know it wasn't actually something because like like you said it, that is relevant to the overall story. Yeah, and the, so. you know there was that stuff. There's the stuff with the challengers and then the the, uh, the, the army. And... Yeah, the the losers from the uh, army unit back in after World War Two. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, and I understand why it was cut, but yeah, it was it was unfortunate. So uh, yeah, definitely definitely go check it out, and and uh, and if you want to tell us what you thought about the movie, you can email us at contact at fanboystrikeback.com, or you can go to www.fanboystrikeback.com, which is our website, and that is where we write our reviews of the book of the week each week, and we also post movie trailers. We put up the new uh, Iron Man trailer this week. Sweet! Which was, oh my god, that was good. Freaking I cannot, awesome. I cannot wait for that movie. And, and that's coming from a guy who doesn't really care for Iron Man that much. Oh man, so. it looks good. So it does look good. So uh, you can there's a link to our forums there, and you can go on there and you can start a topic of your own, and uh, we we'd love to talk about those topics with you. And uh, you can also talk about 
things that we post. So if you have any opinions about the new frontier, please let us know what you think. And uh, also, you can find us on iTunes. Yep, iTunes, Podcast Alley. Um, if you like the show, please leave us a review. If you don't, um, well, there's no reason why you wouldn't like the show. But if you don't, send us an email. Let us know uh, what you'd like to hear, what you'd like to see more of. Uh, like Eric said, jump on to the website. Uh, make sure you check out that Iron Man trailer because it's, oh, oh, it's good. And then come to the forums. Now that we've discussed the new frontier, we'll probably throw up a thread on the forums about that too to see what you guys thought. And um, yeah, this was actually overall, this is a great week in comments. It was. It was, it was really good. So I was very happy with it. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, that does it for us this week. We will be back next week, hopefully. And uh, until then, I'm Eric. I'm David. See you then. <laughs>